What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Dogs and Hogs. We've got Russ Tanner. We've got Rodney Nabulsi. I'm Bobby Andrews. We have got a bunch to talk about today, guys. Thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to like, subscribe, comment. Leave a bunch of comments for us. We'll be uh, going through those. Feel free to weigh in on this conversation because, Russ, we have got a lot to talk about tonight. Um, I mean, first and foremost, let's 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 talk about the the Let's talk about it. I don't know if it's a bright spot per se, but let's talk about the schedule release for next year. Let's look ahead to a little bit of future down the road. So it's official. It came out today, right? It so it was leaked today. Yes, it was leaked. Official is yeah. Roddy will pull it up right there. Yeah, there we go. There it is. So, starting off, Clemson. Uh, we knew that that was that wasn't a surprise to anybody. So we knew who we were playing. It was just the dates were in question. If, I believe yeah. is so. Um, you know, we've got Brock Vandegrift transferring to Kentucky, which was made official today. So we'll face off against him uh, the third week of the season, and then we've got a bye right before we head to Brian Denny to play Alabama. It's going to be a mm. tough game there. Um, Auburn at home, Mississippi State at Texas will be interesting. I know. I mean, Roddy, what was uh, the the? Isn't there an F one race in Austin the same exact weekend? Yeah, same isn't weekend. It? Yeah, but, but but here's the thing: that race only draws four hundred thousand people, so I don't see what the problem is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look like in the hotel anywhere in the damn state of Texas. Yeah. Look. You look, you look at that sketch right there, man. Like, I love the Clemson Open. You know, that was fun up in Charlotte uh, two years ago, whenever it was. I love the big starts to the season. You got a little breather with Tennessee Tech. You know, Kentucky, you always feel good as if you're Georgia playing Kentucky. You know, it's a tough game. But the Brock Vandergriff, you know, line makes that just a lot more interesting now. Um, you know, you get the bye week, you're idle there. But then, man, look at that next four weeks. Holy moly. You yeah, talking about the run. Dog, you go on to, to Tuscaloosa, you get Auburn, Mississippi State at home. You know, Auburn, Mississippi State, it, it never it, it never matters what kind of year they're having. Those are not cakewalks. You don't know what you're going to see. It's going to be two very different type of offenses, what Auburn's doing now with Mississippi State with Jeff Levy down there. A lot of high-octane stuff. And then you go to Austin. I mean, that's as tough of a four-week schedule as you're going to find anywhere in the country. And this is the only schedule I've even seen. So, yeah, man. That's that's a uh, that's a let's hear the people complain next year about our strength of schedule. Right, we get this murderers right. Talk about talk about the bye weeks here. We've got you know one right before the Bama game and one right before the Florida game. You know that's that's as usual. You know the Halloween. You know we had a you know neutral site in Jacksonville game against Florida. Uh, Russ, how important are those bye weeks before those games? They're they're enormous, especially it, it was always such a a bad deal for us when we played because Florida had that bye week and we did not for so for so long. And you have two weeks that allows you to get healthier. And then man, time in the film room, like every hour you spend in the film room makes a difference. And you got two weeks to prepare, two weeks to focus, two weeks to just drill that stuff over and 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 over again until you get in the you get in a game situation, you're like, oh yeah, I see it. Look at what they're doing. I got them covered here. And Florida always had a leg up on that with us. So bye weeks are huge. Play in, the bye week before Bama's huge, just have a second week to prepare. Then by the time you get to the Florida week down there, you need a week off for your body. The grind of the season is intense. The mental grind, the emotional grind, the physical grind. You need that bye week. So I love the bye week before Florida, and I'm glad we got it for Bama because, man, you need it. Those, like we just talked about, those four weeks in a row, Bama, Auburn, Mississippi State, going to Austin to play Texas, like that's a rough stretch, dog. So, yeah, those are our two well-placed buys. Whoever the schedule makers are did us a solid there. Yeah, do you well, think they did the Go same ahead. for Alabama and Florida? <clears throat> Alabama also has a bye week before facing Georgia. Well, I'm do you sure think, Florida does too. Do you think that they're obviously adequately placed before two of, you know, our, our bigger games of the season, obviously, but do you think that, you know, one – pretty early in the season. It's the fourth week of the year. Do you think other than being adequately placed ahead of big matchups, like do you, do you like where they're at on the schedule just in general? Yeah, because they're broken up is, is what you want there. I mean, it would stink if you you had an off week on October 19th, then again, November 2nd. You just, it messes your rhythm up. You don't need that much time off. So, you know, maybe would you like to see it after the fifth or sixth game and one after the eighth or ninth? Sure. 
But I think you play three, have a week off, four, a week off, and you finish with one, two, three. You got five after the bye, right? If I'm counting right. So, I mean, that's a, that's a tough stretch down down the – golly. That's tough, too. Florida, Ole Miss, Tennessee. Then you got the two cupcakes at the end of UMass and Tech before uh, – you know, who knows what the SEC championship games will look like next year. So, yeah, man. I mean, I like – to answer your question, yes, I like where they're placed. I feel like they're spaced out well before two of your bigger games on the schedule. But, man, that's a – I'm telling you, them boys better strap it up tight coming in next year because uh, that's a that's a darn schedule right there, son. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, that's not – it's a gauntlet for sure. Like you mentioned, it's – you know, no more people are going to be saying, oh, Georgia's got such an easy schedule. So, it's going to be tough to go undefeated with a schedule like that. Um, so, yeah, anyways, really historic years – Right, were you saying something? Well, but so the good news is you don't have to go undefeated because now all of a sudden next year right. you got 12 teams in the playoffs. So yeah, that, that makes it a lot easier. Also, I want to know what SOB decided to run Alabama and Auburn back to back for Georgia. <laughs> I mean, it's bad enough that Georgia has to go back to Tuscaloosa. Right. Last time Georgia and Alabama played in the regular season at Georgia went at Tuscaloosa. Again, it's like, wait a minute, how the hell is Georgia having to go back there? And remember when Auburn complained to the SEC about having to face Georgia and Alabama at the end of their season. And they start, they changed the schedule around and all of a sudden Georgia had to go back to back years to Auburn, which was already some BS. And then they got it so that Auburn could play Georgia in the middle of the season. So they wouldn't have to face Auburn, uh, you know, Georgia and Alabama back to back to finish their season. Well, now all of a sudden what's Georgia got in the middle of its season, Auburn and Alabama back to back. I'm like, man, if there's a way for Georgia to get hosed on this thing, they, they figured it out. So I'd like to know who in the, you know, I appreciate the bye week where they put them, but that, uh, that's some BS there. Then I just, yeah. I, don't know, I, I think George is getting hosed. I mean, that's a, t- that's a tough schedule. That's a ridiculously tough schedule. And yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you go Auburn, Bama and Auburn back to back. Then you come down that, that stretch you've got highlighted right there, Florida, Ole Miss, Tennessee. I mean, dude, that's a hard run too. So, you look at that. The good news is the 12-team playoff makes a huge difference, like you mentioned. So you feel like for Georgia, with that schedule next year, you can pretty much go ahead and look at it. If they go 10-2, and two, they'll be in the playoffs. You got, you've got to think that'll be the case. And it's hard to look at that schedule and anticipate an undefeated season. Now, it's very possible. Kirby's got them where we want them. The team's going to be great. The recruit class going to be excellent. We'll do well in the portal. We'll be big, fast, strong, yada, yada, yada. That's murderers right over there, big dog. I'm telling you. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And as I was saying, you know, it's no longer the days of going undefeated, I, you know, to get into the college football playoff. Obviously, you'd like to, to to make it into that, you know, top four and bye weeks and whatnot. But um, Georgia, obviously, missing out on the college football playoff rankings. Uh, Russ, we've got. Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Alabama, obviously Florida State at five, and Georgia getting left out at six as well. What are you – I mean, what what was your reaction, initial reaction? Did you expect Florida State to get left out? I mean, I was shocked. I don't know about you, but what, what were your thoughts? I mean, I don't have any new takes that haven't been discussed, you know, by the people that, watch, that are watching our show right now. They know the deal. They've read the headlines. They've been on Twitter. They've read the dog vent, whatever. So I don't have any new takes that I can offer that's going to blow you away. But Florida State, I mean, they 100% got hosed because of TV money, SEC power, whatever it may be. Um, do I think that Alabama's one of the four best teams in the country? Yes, I do. Do I think that Georgia's one of the four best teams in the country? Yes, I do. Do I think that Georgia deserves to be in the playoff? No, I don't believe we do. Do I think Alabama deserves to be in the playoff? No, I don't believe they do either. It's because you can't go with a power five undefeated team, Michigan, Washington, Florida State, and not make it to the playoff. And then you got three one-loss teams, process of elimination, who beat who, Florida State, I'm sorry, Texas over Bama, Bama over us. I think Texas should be in. I do think Georgia and Bama and Vegas will tell you that will be favored over anybody else they play in there, Georgia. Which means they're the better better teams. Sure. That's right. But I, so I is it best teams or is it who went undefeated in a, a weak ass conference? I mean, I hear you, but it is what it is. I mean, I mean you can hear me, I, but I I'm right. Yeah, but you can't but you can't do the best teams with that because if you do the best teams, Washington shouldn't be in. Right. Georgia, they shouldn't. 
Well, I agree, <laughs> but the way the rule, the way the rules are set, and with what I think it is, what it's going to be, I think about the kids who play in those in those situations, who are playing for those teams. If you if you can only play who's on your schedule, it ain't their fault that other teams they play suck. You play who's on your schedule, and those teams took care of their business all year long, and that should mean something. They should be in. So I think Bama should be out as well. For the record, I mean Bama's going to win the national championship now. Watch what happens, but yeah. I don't. I don't. You know they should Which be in. Florida State the best team, and they should be in. So and and you know you know the committee's so full of crap because of Jordan Travis was hurt what three weeks ago. And they kept him in the number four thing. And then you look at what you're saying right there. We're now ranking as the best team. So with Jordan Travis out, Bama's better than Florida State, but Florida State's better than Georgia. Man, go get a tick, go get a feather and tickle yourself till you laugh or something. Like that ain't <laughs> that ain't right. Like it's it's yeah. just it's a made up ranking now. And that's why everybody gets outraged with it. So if you're gonna put the best four in, Georgia and Bama should be in. If you're gonna do the most deserving, Georgia and Bama should be out. And again, that, the only reason I'm arguing with is that's my point. It, they are mandated to put the best teams in. There's nothing in their uh, charter that says most deserving. It's specifically about best. And I don't believe that Washington should be in there, and I don't believe Florida State should be in there. And it's mainly because, yeah, you went undefeated. But if Georgia went and played a bunch of uh, weak teams, you know, it's like, okay. And, hey, Georgia went undefeated through the regular season. That should count for something. Yeah. So you can tell me that – Georgia had to be undefeated through the regular season and the postseason to get in. Alabama did not need to be uh, undefeated to get in. And FSU, although undefeated, doesn't get in. I'm like, you have a uh, shifting set of values or shifting set of standards depending on which team. And if you're going to tell me that a uh, Alabama team that had won 29 in a row, back-to-back national champions, and loses by three on a neutral site, you know, if Nick Saban loses by three points – that they're going to keep him out. They're going to drop him from yeah, one to six. That's that's bull. So my my point is, if you're going best teams, Michigan plays in a tough conference. They went undefeated, even if they cheated. Hey, you get yeah. in. Georgia, you were number one. We thought you were number one all year. You lost by three points with questionable calls and uh, players out. Because if players out affect FSU, maybe players out affect Georgia because you're going to get them back. So uh, then Alabama, hey, you beat the number one team. You deserve to get in. And then Texas, like, hey, you beat Alabama, who beat the number one team. So you deserve to be in. So if you're going to do the four best teams, that's it. And I know people don't want to see two SEC teams in there. And you don't want a 13-0 Washington and a 13-0 FSU. But at least you'd say, look, we're consistent. So to me, the where it all falls apart is for them to say, uh, we're putting Washington in because they went undefeated in a week schedule. But we're not putting in FSU, who went undefeated in a week schedule or in a week uh, conference. So to me, they're half pregnant. So they're trying yeah. to say, you know, yeah. it's, it's well, a shifting I mean, thing. So uh, that's my whole point. I'm like, you can't tell me that Georgia can drop from one to six. And then the three other teams that lost conference championships combined only drop four places. Come on. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, I mean, you're right with your argument. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I mean, cause I think you're exactly right. I think the committee is extremely flawed with how they've done it. I think they painted themselves in a corner with the things they said publicly about the best teams and what they're going to do this, that, and the other. And then to pull the rug out from the Florida state, the weekend of the final rankings to leave them in front of Georgia five and move Georgia to six. Like it's yeah. just, it's just a bunch of crap. That's all it is. So I don't think the way in my brain of a person who loves college football, Georgia and Bama should not be in the playoff this year because you win your conference. It is what it is. You play your, you play your 12th season, you play your 12 teams, you play a conference championship. We can argue about it all we want to. That's the way it is. That's our schedule. You win those games, you're in. If you don't win those games, you shouldn't be in. Bama shouldn't be in. So I agree. I mean, it's, it's most deserving or best. And the most deserving was be the ones that uh, won all their games in the conference championship. I, I am frustrated with the college football playoff ranking system as well. Just 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 the system as a whole. The the committee it's a, it is quite honestly a joke at this point. I mean, with to, to Roddy's point, they are so inconsistent. Mike Greenberg said on ESPN earlier this week that this has turned into figure skating. College football has turned into figure skating, and he said it great because it's now judged off of a group of judges it's not it's it's no longer looking at records it's no like it is but at the same time it's not because there's a committee of what makes them qualified to make the decision on who are the best four teams it's 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 all up to a couple of judges it's all turned into figure skating so i i just 
it's the, the the committee has consistently messed up. They've been consistent yeah. at consistently messing up the rankings ever since the beginning. Like you said, they, they I mean, they've painted them into a corner with, with what they've been saying. And historically, the decisions that they've made, all this precedent that they set for themselves, all this bad precedent that they've set for themselves has completely just – the system is is collapsing. It is horrendous. And thank God we no longer have to see it anymore with the 12-team playoff because I would be furious at because who are we going to be fighting over? A couple three-loss teams? Uh, you know, we're going to be fighting over a three-loss LSU versus a three-loss Louisville getting into the – you know, top 12 next year. I, like it, it doesn't, it's, it's not going to matter next year, but it was just a, an completely a wild way to end the 14 playoff this, this year. So I agree. It's wild, but you know, spilled milk at, at this point for us. I mean, it is what it is. It's, you know, a bunch of crap, but well, who, do you, who do you have winning that whole thing? Look, I'm sorry. Who do you have winning those games? Which games? Uh, Michigan, Alabama, Washington, Texas. Oh man! Unfortunately, I think it's gonna be Bama and Texas. I mean, that's—I I don't see how you don't put those two teams in. You know, Michigan to me, Michigan's got a really good defense. They look solid on offense, but year in and year out, we see it every year, and it hardly ever fails. When these Midwestern, Northern teams come and play teams in the South, they don't fare well. When there's equal time to prepare. Everybody's ready. Everybody's watched film. You're all healthy. They're just not fast. <laughs> it's the way it is. Bunch of big cornbread white boys on the lines of scrimmage with big, thick linebackers whose ankles look like they're the size of their thighs, and they're just too plotting. That's what Michigan does. So the chance for them to come and beat Bama and to beat Texas, who Bama's got it figured out on offense now with Jalen Milrow. Like the dude is a different player than he than he's been in, in earlier in this season. He's a good. He's a really good quarterback now who's, who understands when to run and make it hard on you. And he's going to be the best athlete on the entire field when he plays Michigan, no matter what happens. So I got Bama there. And Texas versus Washington. Washington's defense is doo-doo. It's like one of those strainers that you get spaghetti out of the sink with or out of the pot with to drain it. I mean, stuff just keeps flowing through it. There's nothing they can do to stop it. Their defense is bad. And I guarantee you the Texas defensive line is going to put Michael Penix in a spot he has not been in a lot this year as far as just being pressured. Michael Penix is a good player, a really good quarterback. Heck, he's 28 years old. He's been around for 19 years. I swear he was in Indiana back in 1994 playing quarterback, it seems like. So, you know, it's going to be Texas and Bama. And then, <laughs> I don't know, it's crazy. I, I hope the dogs obviously smoke FSU, beat the crap out of them. But what if FSU beats Georgia in the bowl game and they're undefeated and then the national champion is a one-loss team, and they're undefeated Power Five champion to beat Georgia in a bowl game. Ooh, they're going to pull talk the, about being mad. The UCF national champion, like UCF did a couple years ago. What was that? Was that back in like 2018 or something like that? Uh, yeah, it wasn't long. It wasn't that long ago. So, but I also looked at so, flag. Yeah, Bama and Texas, and you're not, and and Sarkeesian's not going to beat Saban twice in a year. Not going to happen. So, you know, that's why I think Bama's going to win it. And if you if you don't think Washington, I mean Michigan, is is unhappy about it, the greatest clip from the college football weekend, <laughs> latest rounds, was yeah. the Michigan reaction, the team reaction shot when they announced the number fourteen. They were getting ready to see Florida State on there. They were getting ready to erupt. You know, the backup quarterback, third string guy, we're gonna take it to them. And there's a number four, Alabama. Oh, Alabama. Oh. Then they were like, ah. You can hear the they, groans. They you can hear like the groans from from Michigan players and stuff like that. Yeah, that was that was a funny clip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alabama's going to beat Michigan, and Texas is going to take it. Washington's barely won. I mean, now granted, Texas has had some issues. Uh, Taylor Cox says Texas beat TCU by three, won an overtime in K State. They're very inconsistent, but Washington has a long streak of single digit victories. Yeah, they, they've uh, not won a ton of their games. Of course, Alabama should have lost. To, this is all Auburn's fault. It Don't watch too. You know, if Auburn, you screwed it up for Georgia. And remember a couple of years ago, if uh, Tank had gone, uh, you know, not gone out of bounds, if he'd stayed on the field, they'd have beaten Alabama then. And you wouldn't even have had to face them in 2021. 20, uh, so, yep. yeah, this is always Auburn's fault. And no matter what happens, <laughs> it's Auburn's fault. We, we need that yeah. as a tagline. We're going to change this to dogs, hogs, and Auburn's fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a nice ring to it. Well, I don't know. I don't know why you guys are so out on Washington. I'm, I, I feel like, listen, 
Because out of all the teams in the top four, I will be not necessarily rooting for Washington, but it's the I'm it's for Washington. The, I was about to say it's the lesser of all the evils, and and they can they can play some ball. Okay, I understand. You know they've got some, but they beat Oregon twice. Roddy and Russ, both of you guys rave about the Dan Lanning program, this, that, and the other. Oregon is great. Dan Lanning's a perfect shoe-in for whenever Kirby ends up leaving. Like, what 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 he he beat Dan Lanning twice. Or Washington beat Dan Lanning twice. What what's stopping you guys from having faith in a Washington team against Texas? Uh, you know, well, what did Georgia do to Oregon? Yeah. Again, that was this, last is year. A, this is that was a conference. Year. Go ahead, Russ. Yeah, it's, it's, but it's, they got boat raced. The lines of scrimmage are not good enough out there to play with the Southern football teams. That's the bottom line. And even there, the skill position players, the depth of talent that Georgia has, Texas has, Alabama has, those teams out West just can't hold up. It's just not po- – I'm telling you, man, it's not possible. Now, the thing I like about Washington, I don't know much about this guy. Roddy, I'd like for you to do the research on this. Their, quarter, their, their coach, Kalen DeBoer. Have y'all seen his record as a head coach? I mean, his record is unbelievable. It's like 115 or something like that. Um, so it, there's something to be said about a coach that learns how to win and gets teams in position all the time. So maybe he's a better coach. Maybe we need to start paying attention to him out there. But the little bit I've seen on the field, Washington seemed to be skating by. And you can you can skate against teams that you're better than for so often. But when you try to skate by a team that is way more talented than you are, it's like you're trying to dodge all these haymakers all night, and whenever Tyson does connect, you're done. And that's what I feel like is going to happen with Washington, unfortunately. And I'm for him, man. I want them to win it at this point. So I'm with there. But here's the thing: when you look at uh, the fact that they again they've barely won uh, some of their games, which hey, I'm not, I've never I've never been big into margins of victory. Although you got to wonder if Florida State had scored one or two extra touchdowns, would they be in the playoffs? You know, did it come down to, hey, you just didn't score enough in this last game? But when I look at uh, people go, well, Washington's really good. And I've been saying, oh, I was asked in like week three, who, who's sorry, the most uh, dangerous uh, teams that Georgia has to face? I was like, uh, Washington and Alabama. And they're like, Alabama, they just, just sat their quarterback. I'm like, he's really good. They're not going to, that's going to be a mistake and they're going to find out. Yep. It turned out to be true. My whole thing is when you're looking at the, uh, Pac-12, what's the Pac-2? I mean, that conference has blown up. That's different football. That yeah. is that, that is seven-on-seven seven football. That's not trenches football. And when it goes up against trenches football, Georgia lost this past game on the line of scrimmage to get Alabama. Georgia against either one of those teams is favored and will beat them on the line of scrimmage. Out of Texas has a great line of scrimmage. That defensive front's pretty nasty. So in, uh, Michigan's got a good uh, – I mean, uh, yeah, they got a good offensive front. They put – 13 different offensive linemen out there, it seems like, when they go uh, unbalanced. But they're just going to push through whatever Washington wants to do. And they got a, Washington has a great quarterback, but, I mean, you just can't get pushed around and expect to have success. Nope. 100% correct. And that's a great segue into this past weekend's game, the SEC Championship. We're, we're, we got to talk about it, guys. I know it's it's mm-hmm. played out at this point. Everyone's talked about it. You know. But, Roddy, you mentioned getting outplayed on, you know, you said on the line of scrimmage. Um, I mean, losing 27-24 to a, a really good Bama team. Lad was banged up. I'm surprised he came back in the second half. Rock was banged up. No rah-rah. Uh, but let's talk about some of the controllables. Russ, what what did you see on Saturday that that – what went wrong for the dogs? Well, I mean, Roddy mentioned on the lines of scrimmage, and that was that was the big spot. And in the first half of the game in particular, their interior three linemen, I don't know their names, their guard, their two guards in their center, were pushing us all over the place up front. You know, Brent Rollins, friend of the show, uh, does work with Roddy, and those guys also the, the pro football focus stuff. He was talking about some of the issues for Georgia, Georgia this year, and it was how down the defensive line play was this year. And they just couldn't up front handle – the push that Bama was getting. They were gashing us up there. Now, the stats at the end of the day didn't look that much different. It's not like Bama ran for 300 yards, 250 yards, but they ran it at will at times throughout the game. Miller had time in the pocket, and then whenever it was time for him to scramble, he really hurt us there. 
Um, so we were never never able to really pressure Milrow consistently. We got a few sacks, got on him a few times, but they were running the ball at will. They were pushing us out of the way. We're here, they're here, and they move us there and then run right where they right where we're. There's too many guys losing their position, losing leverage, getting pushed, literally pushed out of the way. So a lot of times we like to talk, talk about zone schemes, that gap schemes, this, that, and the other. You can go back to back and watch it. And there were four or five times in the first half where the Bama offensive line were moving Georgia guys three or four yards off the line of scrimmage. That's a 10-foot hole that gets left for guys running. And, and you can't win like that, especially when you got players as talented as Bama does with Jermaine Burton, Isaiah Bond, Jalen Milrow, et cetera. You cannot get pushed around up front, give them free reign to run where they want to, and then Milrow have chances to take shots at you and win. And you, you couple that along with then two mistakes, right? I mean, we're not we're not throwing stones at any player for Georgia here because the man in the arena is always getting criticized, but he's the only one fighting. But the false start on the field goal, killer, dude, because you doink the next shot. And then the fumble down there on the little reverse we ran, that's the difference in the game. It's one penalty, one turnover, and we lost by three to what is one of the two best teams in the country, I feel like, in Bama. When you're in that environment with the lights that bright, that much pressure on it, you can't make those mistakes and expect to win. And Georgia did, and we lost. Yeah. You look at the game plan they had when they came into the first drive with a healthy Mims, and that's what they'd practiced all week. Yep. Mims at right tackle and Trust at left guard. Mm -hmm. And you lose a guy like Mims. I mean, this is a top 15 pick. He may be yep. the first or second offensive lineman taken in, in the draft. He, he's just absolutely – I mean, and you're worried about their edge. You know, they got two good outside linebackers, uh, two elite guys. And when you practice all week, you run your entire game plan with the same offensive front. Russ can attest to this. And then all of a sudden you pull a guy, and he's out. And now all of a sudden all the reps of all those plays you've run at left guard, now you're trying to remember what the right tackle does for all of them. Now you've played it before in Russ and uh, Xavier Trust, but that changes. Mike Bobo's worried about his protection. He's worried about them getting to him. That's going to change the plays he calls. There's nothing that people are, oh, well, he, he, you know, he changed this. He got nervous or they coached nervous or they didn't want it enough. I hear all these stupid excuses. And I'm like, nah. if you take someone's best tackle out of the game, it changes yep. the ball game. And that, that was it. And then to your point, Georgia's defensive front, um, we specifically asked Ray Scott about this last year. We said, look, you're losing Jalen Carter. You know, that's a big deal. What's the defensive front going to be like? Because, you know, the year prior you lost Devontae Wyatt, Trayvon Walker, and Jordan Davis. And he said, I, I mean, I'm so – and he, he's legitimate. He was so excited about the depth they had, you know, talking about keeping Warren Brinson and getting to Zier Stackhouse, you know, and uh, Terry Mingham Dawkins and all these guys who are going to you know be able to contribute right away. And he said, we have so much more depth than we've ever had, you know, starting next year. That depth didn't mean crap. It really didn't. I mean, you don't have a difference maker on that front. You don't have that zero technique who takes up two guys and keeps those linebackers clean, and that was just it. And then you hear uh, Saban going on there going, well, you know, we went uh, – the, the, we were really worried about the run. So you look at the defense front they were in on the first drive. Georgia just killed them. Then he's like, oh, well, their guy's hurt. And he actually said, we went to 40, you know, nickel defense, and we were able to split our safeties. So all of a sudden you've got bracket coverage over Georgia's best guys. He says, we weren't worried about 19 and 84, Brock Bowers oh, and uh, 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 Lad McConkey hurting us because he knew they were messed up. Plus you got uh, safety help over the top or the safeties come up to take away the run. The, the best thing that could happen for Alabama was the Mims get hurt. I, yep. I guess maybe the other thing would be Carson Beck getting hurt, but I mean, it's like the second best thing is for them to lose an offensive lineman. Now, all of a sudden, he could get pressure with four. They could stop the run with four. You know, it's just, yep. okay, they, they won. So injury, and the fact injury. that you only lost by three is a damn testament. It really is. It's really unbelievable. I mean, the, the Georgia team, so much respect for what they've done as, a, as an outsider where I'm at now looking at them. But Xavier Mims ended up the year. Said Van Pran Grange is probably the best offensive lineman. But behind him, Amaris Mims was the guy. And Trust has done a good job. He's been beyond serviceable. He'll be an NFL guy. But like you said, Mims is a top 15 pick in the draft if he comes out, works out well, and does all the things. He's that talented. And it changes what you do. It changes how you attack. So many fans, it made me so – I don't get mad at fans very much. but And I don't get mad about people. I look at when they write things, all right, that's stupid. 
But for the people that come out and try to get down on Bobo after that game, it's stupid. It is stinking stupid. I mean, he he ran this offense better than we've seen in a long time. Once he figured out the rhythm the first three or four games of the year, and by the way, we were injured like crazy then too, the offense ran as good and as smooth as it did any time Munkin was ever here. Facts. Don't If you want to argue, just go look at the stats. I'm right. You're wrong if you want to argue that. So you, you come into the situation now to where you don't have a mobile quarterback like you did with Stetson Bennett. Carson Beck was the man a lot of the year, but he's not a mobile guy. When you get what, – why does that matter? What does that matter, Russ? You've had you've been the guy all year long. You're right. When Mims goes down, it changes your protection to your point. you got to leave a guy in to help. And then having your two – probably your three most explosive players on the outside, Lad McConkey, Brock Bowers, Ra-Ra Thomas, either out or limited to say the least, you're not threatening them in one-on-one situations. Healthy, you can't guard Brock Bowers and Lad McConkey one-on-one. If Ra-Ra was in there, showed all your line, he was one of the guys that could make plays for you. So now you're taking your three best outside threats, and they're either out of the game or limping, and then you take your most effective offensive line on the edge and take him out. It's a great deal for Bama. They can now keep guys back in coverage and press you up front. And, and, it's, and it's hard to do with that. So, And now he doesn't have that mobile quarterback with Stetson. Stetson covered up a lot of things for Munkin. Because when things yep. didn't go right, when somebody was injured, someone was out, like Stetson was a different dude. He could make things happen with his feet and get out of there. It, it's just the way it goes. You don't have that with Carson Beck. When the system is together, Carson Beck was the man. When guys are hurt and Bama's as good as they are, it's super hard, super hard. Take any other team in the country. Say, well, what about Pennix? What about Knicks? Take one of their starting linemen out. Take their three best receivers out and see how they fare. It's going to be a bad day for them as well. So, you know, a lot of respect, man. It, we won 29 in a row, two national championships, 12 games in a row, and we lost to a Bama team by three in Atlanta. Sheesh, what a freaking run. It was an incredible run. And if, it, you know, somebody was mentioning the officiating, if maybe a little bit better officiating, you're still in that run, you know. and Or maybe if you have a couple fewer guys get – fewer guys less injured, then all of a sudden you're still in it. And to me, you know – I get accused of defending Mike Bobo. Me and Mike Bobo aren't friends. I don't care if he gets criticized or not. I just want to, the criticism to be accurate on football. Now, to me, he only took one shot downfield. That's a Mike Bobo problem. C- call more. Third and short, you're running Edwards. Don't run Edwards, run Milton. You know, uh, throw on those third and shorts. I know everybody says, you know, run it on third and short. There are some things that I would do differently. Or In retrospect, you don't know it at the time, but – Yep. I can see some of the criticisms, but to me, if you're going to criticize the defense and what they did or the offense, you need to know what the other side was doing to be able to give an accurate criticism. So to me, it's like, well, why didn't we run it more? Why do we run up the middle? Well, there are only four guys on the line of scrimmage. Inside zone play against four guys, that's that's a winner. Am I wrong? No. And have you ever – has there ever been a team that was favored or expected to win that got beat that – isn't very sure that the ref screwed them and that one of their coaches sucks and should be fired. That's <laughs> just the way it goes at Noah College football. So, you know, I mean, it is what it is, man. We had opportunities. We At the end of the day, we made mistakes. Bama made plays. And and I think, I mean, our, I like this point from, from Josh, Josh Hammonds right here. If you told me that Milrow passed for less than 200 yards, rushed for 40 yards, I'd be cashed in my Sky Miles for a ticket to Houston in January, which I, I love this point because – the defense did play pretty well. You mentioned not winning on the line of scrimmage very well, but but we limited Milrow. Like that that was a that's huge... messed up though. Is what? I... That 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 stat's wrong. Which one? Here's the thing. It says he rushed for 40 yards. He rushed for a lot more than that. What they do is they take well, out they the sack. They take into yards. consideration sacks. So, Correct. I mean, the guy had right. a lot of yards. So right, that... he did. But that's Correct. what made him so dangerous. And you saw when there was one play that broke down, and what did Carson Beck do? He took off for a run and saved your bacon. Yeah, you don't have that threat, as Russ was saying, with uh, with Carson Beck very often. You know, and a lot of times when you're you're doing that, uh, when you're making that read that read option, it's like I'm not worried about the quarterback keeping. I'm just going to go ahead and crash in and get that backside pursuit. And we saw that a lot. The backside guy coming to making a play. It's like. Because he has zero fear of uh, the quarterback keeping it, so that's a when you yeah, watch, I, watch plays, that's that's dangerous. But again, I, Josh was right. I, you'd seen that, you go with it. But 
Right. You remember they ran at will, and so did Milrow, and that 40 yards is not indicative of what how dangerous yeah, the, he was. The, stat, the stats, I mean, yes, to your point, if you take those stats in a vacuum, yes, you're correct. But Milrow did a great job with their game plan. And while he didn't he didn't kill, he didn't rush for 150 yards, nothing like that. The 30-yard run at the end to break the game open, and they had three or four throughout the game to pick up first downs or to extend the right. play. And shoot, the one time we had him and he did the underhand flip forward to Isaiah Bond out there was an unbelievable play. So, you know, we, we get caught up in stats. This is what I hate about the Heisman now. The Heisman is now a quarterback stat award. Yeah. Jalen Milrow, I don't think he's one of the Heisman, by the way, but it, it, it's playing games like he did to where you talk about it wasn't meant to be a game manager. It means you make the plays that need to be made when it's there. You, you flip the ball to Isaiah Bond. You scramble one time. You hit a guy on a deep crossing route. You make plays that your team needs you to at the time. And it's not just about throwing the ball all over the field and just trying to see how many yards you can get passing and all that. So, you know, I thought Miro did a very good job. I thought Bama's game plan was very good. I thought they took advantage of Georgia's injuries and deserved it. I mean, they beat us. That's the way it is. Do I still think Georgia's one of the four best teams in the country? Yes. And you can bury me on Tanner Hill knowing that I'll still believe that. So, but but to my point, we limited Milrow through the air as well. Like, what was the stat of, of the first quarter? Did he have a completion in the first quarter at all? His his final stat line: he was thirteen for twenty three. He threw for one hundred ninety two yards and two touchdowns. Yeah. So yes, he did hurt us with his legs and and made some major plays. But it wasn't like he was slinging the ball over all over the lot. And I mean, there were some big, huge plays that he ended up making. He showed up in big time situations. But for the most part in this game, I mean, we gave them a short field on the 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 Beck and Bell fumble. Like, yeah, that only got they only got three points out of that because we got a great stop on defense. But like, I'm I think we did decent with Milrow. Of course, he hurt us with his legs. But I, I just I agree with what Josh was saying about you know. I think I think Bama and, I think Bama did a good job of doing and. and it's going to be surprising when we say this, right? What we said that Kirby does every time. Kirby doesn't run the score completely. He tries to choke the game away. He tries to get a lead and then choke the game away. Why, why do you think? Why do you think? Okay. Quinn Ewers, Texas. How many yards did he have passed in the first half of the day, roughly? Does anybody know? It was, you know, it was like 360. 360. Yeah, 350, 360 in the first half. And he ended up with, I don't know, like 410, 420. So, the, the stats are such a liar to you about how well somebody plays in a game. Bama got the lead on Georgia. They had a few things go their way. They had a short field and scored on because we, we dropped the ball on the 11-yard line, whatever, whatever it was, and they scored. So then Saban didn't ask Milrow to do a lot. He did not want him throwing the ball over the field. He wanted him sitting there making a few plays with his arms, but then just being smart, letting him run the ball when they wanted to, and then scrambling for first downs. And as long as they had the lead, he was trying to shorten the game, give you less possessions, and make the clock run. And that's what they did. Once we started trying to uh, make a little run back there at them, they threw the ball a little bit more and were successful some on us. And look, I agree. For a team for Georgia right now that did not have a difference maker on the line of scrimmage this year, you did not have a guy. I used to think back, 01, 01 to 04, right? My roommate was David Pollock. And without question, I can remember being on the sideline. We'd be playing Tennessee in Neyland Stadium. We'd be playing at Jordan Hare against Auburn. Cadillac Williams is lining up over there. You go to LSU and you get a, them an SC championship game. Wh whatever. If it was a tight game, you knew you had number 47 who was going to make a play. The last two years for Georgia, you could be coming against uh, an Ohio State team. You could get Bama. Here and there, you could get Michigan, whoever it is, and you may think, "Oh, they're moving," but then you look, you're like, "Okay, we got number 88 there." We can look back and say, "We got uh, Sackman Jones, Jarvis Jones, come off the edge for us." You've had guys for the last two decades for Georgia who are difference makers in your front four. Who, when the game is on the line, they can't be stopped, they can't be blocked, and they're going to be the man that makes a play for you. This Georgia team this year didn't have that. I think there's a few guys coming, by the way that are some of the younger guys that may turn into that these next few years. But the difference maker for Georgia this year was not on the line of scrimmage. And it's hard to win every game in the SEC without having somebody that can dominate. 
And that is. I'm having a smile, by the way. My wife and daughter just came in and they're sitting there taking pictures. Like we're going to put up on the refrigerator from sitting talking on my phone or something. Oh, <laughs> uh, you can come over here and talk on the camera too if you keep talking. I can turn it around on her. <laughs> Um, I think that's a perfect segue. You mentioned, you know, we may have some younger guys coming in. Russ, let's talk about uh, the transfer portal. That opened up yep. on Monday. That's going to be very interesting. Obviously, Georgia has eight transfers that are in the portal, I believe. Um, Austin Blasky, Nylon Green, Jonathan Jefferson, C.J. Madden, Jackson Meeks, Darius Smith, Brock Vandegrift, who I've, we know already is going to Kentucky, and Jared Zirkle. Yep. Uh, I, I mean – obviously going to miss these guys, but is there, I mean, maybe talk about some, some additions or are there guys that, you know, you think that are, we're looking at to, to join this team, um, some, some talent that we're looking to come in. I mean, the answer to that is yes. There's definitely talented guys that Kirby's looking at bringing in, you know, even the Dabo Sweeney's of the world who haven't wanted to embrace the transfer portal with the way it is right now are going to have to do that. Kirby's done a really good job of that. You may think, Oh, we, haven't done that much in the transfer portal. Rara Thomas and Dom Lovett were huge pieces for the team this year. I don't think you're going to see Georgia bring in 15, 20 guys, but Roddy's way ahead of me as far as knowing what's happening in the portal there. You know, when I, th I think the portal's hilarious from a fan situation because if a starter transfers out, that kid's a turd. We can't stand him. He's a cancer on the team. Addition by subtraction. Get out of here and take the mule that you rode in town with you. If a backup transfer is like, oh, you know, he's a, he's a, I mean, he wasn't really that good. I mean, he's a dang good dog. Yeah. We like right. him. We well, unless we think he's going to be a player for us, then it's back that we hate him again and he sucks. But, you know, the, the portal is such a funny thing, man. Like, it really is. Like, all these guys who transferred here, I don't think there's any ill will with fans towards the guys who have gone in so far, um, you know, because they weren't starters for your team, they weren't frontline guys. And you understand guys want to have a chance to play somewhere. And with the depth that Georgia has right now, guys are going to leave and go play other places. This is the way it is. But it's not just a Georgia problem. Every team, good Lord, you can be Texas A&M right now worried about the transfer portal. They're in a bad spot. Yeah, yeah I expect, and, and Roddy can tell us his thoughts on this, I expect Georgia to bring in some really high-end guys from the transfer portal this year, some former big-time recruits, and also very productive players from the last year or two to be a part of the team. I mean, it's the way, it's the, way of the world now. Roddy, when we talk about defensive players, one of the guys is Walter Nolan. Is there any chance? Is there any anything you've been hearing about him? No. <laughs> All right. Well, that was fast. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, uh, I don't think Georgia's going to go after Walter Nolan. They were really in on him uh, when he was in, you know, as a recruit. Georgia went right. after him very, very hard. He's one of their definitely top priorities in that recruiting class. They didn't get him. I don't. And here's the thing. Georgia does not throw big money at these kids, and people say, "Well, why not?" They don't have it. No. Okay, go, what do you mean? What do you mean Georgia doesn't? Have it? They don't have it. I can't stress this enough. Georgia is handcuffed when it comes to NIL. They just don't have the big money that these other schools do, and they also have a philosophy of not throwing crazy money after guys because you don't want to bring in a Walter Nolan, give him a three hundred thousand dollar deal when you have a defensive uh, senior defensive lineman who's got getting like thirty grand from Zaxby's. It's like, wait a minute, you know, that kid's going to come in and he's got to pay attention to that senior. It, it ruins your, the lock, the chemistry in your locker room. And Kirby is very, very cognizant of that. Uh, he prioritizes a good locker room and leadership. What does he always talk about? Leadership. And you kind of roll your eyes because it sounds like a you know, cliche. But the, if you can have a Cedric Van Pran who can go up to somebody on the yep. uh, offensive front and say, hey, Get your crap together. When they run this twist, you are the one that's got to pick him up. You know, you don't want Stacey Cyril doing that ever, all the time. It means more if it comes from Cedric Brand Pran. Now, if he's if you got a five-star offensive tackle who's making 10 times what Cedric Brand Pran's making, that kid's gonna be like, screw you, old man. I'm the money guy. I'm the, they want me more than you. If they, if you were so good, you'd have a better deal than I do. And they compare deals, don't think they don't. So Kirby doesn't throw a ton of money, you know, they're Kirby doesn't do it, but it's the uh, Classic City Collective. They just they don't do that. They work on retention. They work on guys that might be going to the NFL. They're trying to get them to everybody on the team, you know, try to get as much to all the guys, but they're not going out and buying superstars. Walter Nolan's going to command a lot of money. You know, an LT Overton is going to command a lot of money, and it's just that's what the market is. Right now, Kirby is fighting like hell to keep uh, uh, 
the kid, uh, Justin Williams, a five-star linebacker, you know, and uh, Jonia, his uh, teammate out at Oak Ridge. They, he and Glenn Schumann went to see them uh, today or either last night. But the point is, you're trying to keep the guys you have. Now, if you want to go get K.J. Bolden from Buford, who's committed to FSU, FSU doubled, tripled, quadrupled the amount that Georgia was going to give him in NIL. So, well, he's out of it. Now Auburn is coming to poach him from FSU with even more money. This kid's going to make a fortune. Georgia's not in it. Now, the kid wants to come here and play. He's told us that numerous times. You know, people in his family do, but he's like, you know, I could do three years at Auburn and make five, six times what I make at Georgia. Now, if I was at Georgia and I was producing and I was a senior or a junior thinking about coming back from my senior year, I could get a really nice deal because that's where you guys prioritize your money. But for an unproven kid out of high school, no matter how much they like him, Georgia's not going to do it. Now, if they had millions to give everybody, then you'd see it. But uh, everyone's expecting Georgia to get these huge names out of the portal. The one guy I know they're going after right now who's going to come on an official visit this weekend is uh, London Humphrey, a Vanderbilt wide receiver. Does that sound like a huge name to you? Does that sound like the, you know. Uh, no, I want the defense attack from a and That's who I want. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, here's the thing. Now, if Deion Walker, the zero technique nose guard from uh, Kentucky goes in the portal, Kirby's driving to his house. You know, that that's, you'll, you'll do whatever you can to get a guy like that because you know how important it is. Uh, but well, those guys are rare. My point is, George is active in the portal, but they, they didn't go crazy. I mean, the, the best guys they got were Dominic and Rara last year. Uh, they had Smoke Bowie come in, but that didn't work out. So you're not gonna, you're not looking to take someone else's problem, but you're also you just don't have the money to go toe to toe. I know people think I'm crazy. This is Georgia. Georgia's got no money compared to uh, like Texas. Okay, what was the uh, student population there? Seventy thousand. Georgia's like thirty three. You've got all those uh, alums there. You got oil money. You got farm money. You just you're not on the same plane as those guys. Now there are people, and I know one guy who really stepped up in the past couple of days. There are people who are trying to help you out, but until you get Delta money, you know, uh, corporate sponsorships in there. That's why. And here's the thing: you got two kids out of the top ten in the state. If you look at the top 10 uh, recruits for Georgia in this 2024 class, Georgia's getting two of them, two out of 10. And one of them is because he moved here from uh, California, Dylan right. Rayola. So, I mean, that's – and you we're, we used to go to, like, the Corky Kell Classic and see all these uh, local kids, uh, you know, kids within the state that Georgia was going to get their Georgia's in on. Now they're going all over the country because that's that's where – I mean, they recruit nationwide now, but a lot of us, you got to find a kid who wants to come to Georgia – and take a lower deal than he would get at UNC or Tennessee or Florida State. So, to 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 an extent, and 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 I and I don't have any inside knowledge of this, and I should probably just shut up and say Roddy's right instead of trying to think about another point because I don't know. But yeah, Georgia had like that oil money or the corporate money coming in there. But what what Kirby has done it's the same thing that like Belichick did for years when they were really good at New England. Georgia, Georgia has more money than most programs out there, right? But there's yeah. a, there's okay. five, ten, five, eighteen, whatever it is that have more. But Georgia's got more money than Texas Tech or North Carolina State, whoever. But you're competing against Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Texas, Alabama, et cetera. But what Georgia has done, and so far, by the way, it has proven to be the right strategy, is they are spreading their money out and building a team as opposed to bringing in two or three top-end guys that you're going to spend all your war chest on. All these private money people, no matter what they say, nobody loves their school so much they're going to give them 5 or $10 million a year and not win championships. The Miami tried it a year or two ago, right, with the guy down there that tried to just go in and buy everybody. It, it didn't work. You know, Texas A&M, it's interesting now what's going on out there with, you know, that receiver transfer this week and kind of put them on blast publicly saying people think we're being millionaires and, you know, sliced bread, I guess you're talking about Jimbo, <laughs> um, wasn't getting us anything. So – Georgia does a Georgia does a, a better job than anybody in the country, in my opinion, of spreading out the resources they have to build a team that works. And Kirby has it figured out with that. No matter you, you can't have enough money to pay everybody two million dollars a piece for a college team. It's just not the way it works. So and it's gonna change. We're we're sitting in the middle of the NIL craziness right now, thinking that 
We don't know what's going to happen. You're right, but I promise you, it ain't going to stay like this. They're going to figure out a way to regulate it. They've got to. It's not even fun. Now, I'm not a fan of regulation. I'm a free market person. Like, keep the communists out of my house. Like, that ain't that ain't what we're wanting to do here. All right, we want capitalism. We want it. We want it to work. But even I say in this situation, some regulation needs to be needs to be had just from a standpoint of a fair playing field. Like, I love I love I don't know. Maybe I'm just a 41-year-old sappy person who gets romantic about college football, and I love just the tradition, the pageantry, the the just the excitement that comes with it, and to see it turn into a professional thing, I don't like. Now, I'm not saying I don't like NIL. I think players should be able to get paid. I think Brock Bowers should be able to go out and advertise for ABC Roofing, and Ladd McConkey should go be able to sell all the onions he wants to. I've seen him on Billboard selling onions because they've earned that with <laughs> – with you know how they performed but they've got to cap it some way because when it becomes a recruiting tool and that's all it is now by the way some teams their entire recruiting pitch is based around nil and it becomes a way to entice guys out of the portal that wasn't what it was intended for and it's going to be regulated it's going to change and it has to or else college football will college football is dying as we know it the form the the structure of college football is dying college football is not dying but the structure of it is and, and I don't want it to. It's got to change. The NCAA was, has been terrible for a long time. So I don't know what the answer is. I know there's some people trying to play around with, like, the lower division stuff now about creating some trust funds, everybody putting money in and some of that. That's probably not the answer. But there's going to be some things that are tried along those lines that end up coming up with a way that makes it um, fair. Because if not, the co- these coaches aren't going to keep doing it. Like, Kirby can't keep – I don't know how he does it right now. But you've got to recruit 365 days a year, mm-hmm. high school players, your your players on your team, and portal players. You got to keep it up all the time the way it is now. So it's not sustainable. I don't want it to stay this way, and I hope it changes, and it will. I, I you know, five years from now, college football is going to look very different than it does right now. Absolutely. And Rod, you mentioned you know UGA and Kirby Smart. They they have an emphasis on retention rather than going out and trying to trying to you know get a, a big piece or something like that what are what are some retention pieces that you see us possibly hanging on to you know Carson Beck is he going to go to the draft is he going to stay are we going to retain him you know some offensive linemen um well, now you know, t- giving away the stuff we have behind the paywall at ujsports.com you're trying to give me to give away the scoop baby come on man don't try to kill my business I'm it's behind saying, the paywall. I'm Y'all can figure yeah, out how to find it. Yeah, come, it's 27 cents a day. Come join. And you it know, makes a great you, gift. It's Christmas I, I time. I haven't read the dog vent today. So, and I do read the dog vent daily. I'm not getting right mm-hmm. into y'all here. But here, here's, here's, here's my take on that. And, and Roddy can, he can wink if I'm right and nod if I'm wrong. Um, but, you know, with Carson Beck, it's all going to come down to what his, what his draft, you know, projection is. If he's projected to be a first round, second round guy, he's going to leave. I mean, that's just the way it is. Because you make more money in the NFL than you do with NIL as a quarterback. If he's pretending to be a late third, fourth, fifth round guy, and he's coming out, what this year's a strong, and this is a strong quarterback class for the NFL, by the way. You got Caleb Williams, Drake May, um, oh, there's four or five Jane of Daniels, them. Yeah, Jaden Daniels. Yeah, Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, Michael Penix. There's five or six guys. I mean, Carson Beck this year will probably be the sixth or seventh quarterback taken as it stands, assuming something didn't go crazy in workouts. So if that's the case, a guy like him who doesn't have he doesn't have that many reps at a at a starting quarterback at Georgia yet, one more year for him, if it moves him up an entire round, which is very likely, by the way, to happen for a guy like him, he goes from a late third to a late first round guy. You're talking about the difference in a million dollars and twelve million dollars. Right. That's a lot of money. So I would bet you Carson Beck comes back unless the NFL guy, somebody tells him he's a late first round pick, I think he'll be back next year. Well, right now, going into that last game, he talking to scouts. They're like late first round, second round guy. They like him more than Bo Nix. They like him more than some of these guys that are coming out. And the NFL right now is in a dire need of uh, quarterbacks. There are guys playing that you've never heard of. So uh, seven guys being drafted. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a very quarterback-heavy draft, and he could go. But what we – what we we, you haven't read the board today. We – Broke the news. We put the news on the uh, of the schedule on there. That's a gigantic thread. We also put a what we're hearing thread over there, and those are notorious for usually delivering bad news. But this one had some good news in it. 
And there's a little bit in there about uh, Brian McClendon and a job that he's looking at. And then there's a thing about uh, Brett Thorson and his eligibility. But we were talking about Carson Beck, and it's this isn't a promise. But even though Carson Beck is hearing, you know, NFL scouts are telling me, uh, yeah, we, we really like him. He's got a great arm. He's really bright. We can put him in any offense because he can pick it up. You know, some guys just aren't that good at it. Uh, he can make the throws. Uh, he goes through his progressions well. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's he's brilliant when it comes to, you know, football IQ. Uh, got the size they want, you know, so let's put him in there. I could see him coming back. I really do because everybody around the program, I say everybody around the people I've spoken to around the program are like, yeah, all signs are pointing to him coming back. So this yeah. could be a, a big get for Georgia. Uh, Brock Vandegrift transferred, and according to his dad, Greg, said, look, you know, we were making – we made our decision without knowing what Carson Beck's was going to be, which, cause I thought as everyone else did when Brock Vanderriff hit the port, it's like, Oh, well that means Carson's coming back. You know, right. Why the hell would he leave when if Carson leaves and he's the guy and he's in the system that he's learned the last three years, but Brock's like, no, nope, I'm going to uh, Kentucky and I'll, I look forward to him. I hope he wins every game except the one he plays Georgia. Uh, he's, a, <laughs> he's a great kid. Uh, I've covered him for many years. My, my son played against him. I know him. I know his dad really well. Uh, but they actually made that decision. They're like, look, we got to do what's good for us and what's best for us. And we're going to just, we're going to go. So you could have Carson Beck actually going to the NFL and then you're starting the game next year. You know, that first game with Gunnar Stockton, again, very talented quarterback, but Gunnar staying. And when I talk to people in the program, they're like, yeah, we, everybody right now believes that Carson Beck is coming back. Yeah. Does that mean he will? No, but the only people that need to know for sure are, uh, Beck, I mean, uh, Kirby and uh, Mike Bobo, because you don't want him to wait till after the portal closed and be like, Oh, yeah, guys, I'm going to the NFL. You're like, Oh, bro, you're killing us here. The portal was open, all these quarterbacks put their name in there, and we, we could have gone and went and gotten one. But uh, if you haven't seen a bunch of uh, kids talking about, and again, the quarterbacks are different, but until we hear Georgia offering quarterbacks in the portal, I got to assume that Carson Beck is coming back. Yep. Yep. And any and if he was leaving, you're right. They would offer somebody like they like Gunnar Stockton over there. They're high on him and think he's oh, yeah. a good, he's good great. But you gotta have more experience on the roster. You're not gonna go Gunnar Stockton, Ryan Puglisi, and Dylan Riola as your three quarterbacks on the roster. That's just, that ain't a good that ain't a good uh formula to be great. So yeah, Carson come back one more year, give Gunnar a year or two, and then let those other cats come and do their thing. Like you gotta feel good about where the quarterback position is right now. So yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. I actually love watching the portal right now just for the train wreck that is happening. But, yeah. you know, I don't know. You see guys out there. I mean, to me, bring 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 Jake Johnson home. He hit the portal at Texas A&M, a Coney County boy, his brother Max from oh. North Carolina. I'd love to have him back over here. But, uh, you know, Georgia will get a few nice guys, not a few nice pieces out of the portal. But, yeah, we, we ain't going after those big boys who look for crazy money. Exactly. Yeah, that's very fair. And to wrap us up, as usual, Russ, you showed us some phenomenal tomahawk steaks that you grilled tonight. Yeah. But this past week, you know, barbecue reviews. Did did we have any? Did we go anywhere this week? Yeah, man. We went over to Fox Brothers in Atlanta. Um, Drew Butler uh, saw saw one of the reviews online and said something about, man, I need to take you to Fox Brothers. So I went with Drew Butler and Clint Bowling last week up there, and then boys came. They did pretty good for some Atlanta boys, but uh, yeah, man, I went to Fox Brothers, and I'll tell you, man, like we met the the, the actual Fox Brothers, uh, Justin and Jonathan. They were there, and uh, man, awesome dudes, really nice guys, and the food was elite. I mean, it was high end, high. I mean, they're in the playoff, top four, without a doubt. Um, <laughs> wow, without, without any, the committee couldn't even screw it up. It was it was really good. So yeah, go check it out. It was one of our better reviews, I think, um, on my Instagram and Facebook page. So yeah. Yeah, Russ, what what was the uh what was the best thing you guys had? Ooh, man. The brit I mean the brisket was awesome. I mean, I love brisket. I just love brisket. I love ribs. I, I feel love like that's the it. answer every single time. Is yeah, the I mean that's the clip. Or the ribs I or... eat good food with my buddies, people I enjoy being around, talk about football, talk about barbecue. That's a pretty good day for me. So did you, did you have the mac and cheese? Was the mac and cheese good? It was good. They had crumbled up sour cream. And uh, cheddar ruffles on top of it. They broke them up and spring them on the top of it. Interesting. Fancy. It was good. I got it. Interesting. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm a big Drew Butler fan. Uh, he, he's he's great. Uh, but it's, I, I got excited to talk about Clint because I haven't seen Clinton forever. But he's also one of my uh, yep. well, guys. I loved covering him. Uh, great NFL career. I always liked that guy. Yep, they're great dudes. So we I appreciate them going with me to eat barbecue. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, that about wraps us up here uh, with dogs and hogs. So thank you guys for tuning in. Be sure to tune in. You know, every single Wednesday. 8 p.m. We were a little late on the start time tonight. But, uh, yeah, every single Wednesday, 8 p.m., same time, same place. Uh, catch us here and go. Obviously, you know, Roddy's got some great – we got some great stuff over there behind the paywall, UGASports.com. He didn't want to spoil anything, so we gave some stuff away tonight. But go go check out UGASports.com for more content. Thank you guys for tuning in, and uh, we will catch you guys next week with Dogs and Hogs. Go Dogs. Go Dogs.